When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Try to again. Shoots and scores! There's 50 from the right circle! Harris in the pocket. He's throwing and he's going down. home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Brought to you by Cam LLP Injury Lawyers. Representing injured people in Edmonton and across Alberta since 1962. On the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. NHL tonight, four minutes into the second period. Sabres lead the Coyotes 2-1. Eichel and Skinner both with their seventh goals of the season for the Sabres. Later on tonight, the Canucks host the Panthers. Florida moving west after roasting the Edmonton Oilers yesterday afternoon at Rogers Place. Raptors in action tonight, leading Orlando 34-22 after the first quarter. Monday night football kicks off in about 10 minutes. The 0-6 Miami Dolphins taking on the 2-4 Pittsburgh Steelers. The Edmonton Huskies season ended with a loss in the PFC Championship game yesterday, falling to the Saskatoon Hilltops 30-14. The U of A Golden Bears lost their regular season finale against Saskatchewan on Saturday. They will go back to Saskatoon to face the Saskatchewan Huskies in the Canada West Final this coming Saturday. And of course, the Oilers today traveling to Detroit. They will play the Red Wings tomorrow, 4 o'clock here on 6.30, Chad, Game at 5.30, same times on Wednesday for the Oilers Road Contest against the Columbus Blue Jackets. The Oilers with a good record, 8-3-1, but uh, some problems really hampering them over the last four or five games. They will try to work through that. And also remember this here, Evgeny Malkin likely to return on Saturday for the Penguins against the Oilers. That's going to be a morning game here at Edmonton, 9.30 face-off show game at 11. Malkin has been out since the uh, second game of the season with a lower body injury, so he is expected to uh, return Saturday to take on the Edmonton Oilers. Hey, thanks for tuning in tonight. Hope you are relatively warm as winter is starting to roll into our fine city. My name is Reed Wilkins, Inside Sports on 630 Ched. You can text 630-630. You can also call 780-496-0063. The email, insidesports at 630ched.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Reed Wilkins, R-E-I-D-W-I-L-K-I-N-S. The uh, Miami-Pittsburgh game on Monday Night Football I, I was watching the a bit of a, the pregame show at my desk here as I was uh, getting ready for the show tonight. And, of course, these two teams played on Monday Night Football back in 2007 uh, in what is called the Mud Bowl. And I, I remember watching bits and pieces of that game when it was on live and uh, that was the the field was all torn up. November 26, 2007, it was all muddy. The field was all torn up. They play other 
football games on Heinz Field for you know Pittsburgh high school teams and, and all that kind of stuff. And the field was just in horrific shape. And uh, Pittsburgh finally won on a field goal in the final minute. And when I say won on a field goal, completely, literally, that was the only scoring of the game. They won, they won three nothing, and they were uh, showing some of the highlights and interviewing some of the the players and broadcasters from that game. And you, you know they they slow it down. They do such a great job with the presentation, with anything related to the NFL. But this the water splashing everywhere. And I remember watching that game. There was a punt, and it was short of the returner, so he just left it, and the ball just stuck nose first in the ground. It was it was uh, so disgusting and so so soupy. I I, I think the the weather the field conditions are going to be okay for that one. All right. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. We are going to hop right into it here with our weekly guest here at Inside Sports, former NHL goaltender, now a broadcaster. It's Edmonton native Kelly Rudy. Kelly, how are you doing? I'm fantastic, Reed. I'm enjoying the weather here in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. It's 22 degrees uh, Celsius today. Oh, it's not minus 15 with the wind chill? What's going on? <laughs> I know. I talked to my family today back in Calgary, and they said it's miserable, snowy, and windy. Yeah, not pretty in Edmonton either. That's all right. That's all right. We're getting through it. It's it's hockey weather, I guess, is how I'll, I'll spin that. Uh, all right, man, the Oilers had a really tough one yesterday. And for the, for the second time, well, in the past week, really, because it also happened against Minnesota last week, they, they gave up goals in, in rapid succession, three goals in a couple minutes yesterday. It was three in about five minutes against Minnesota. Mike Smith uh, got pulled yesterday. He did not against the Wild. But I, this made me think, I was thinking about you during the game because you've often told that your mental approach when you played was breaking the game into five-minute segments because if you thought about being perfect for 60 minutes, that's pretty overwhelming. But you can do it five minutes at a time. But when you have a five-minute segment where a couple go in or a couple go in quick, how would that affect you know your mindset or your approach? Uh, that doesn't. It still resets at five minutes. Uh, but there, you add another uh, sentence in there to your. You're telling yourself one more thing. Just make the next save, and you repeat that over and over until you make the next save. And one of the things uh, you don't want to get uh, too far in front of yourself and say, okay. I've let in a goal, I've got to make the next 12 saves or 10 saves or whatever. Or if you've just let in two in a row, okay, I've got to be great now for the rest of the game. I'm going to have to make the next uh, 25 saves consecutively. It just doesn't work that way. You have to really make it extremely simple, and that's just make the next save. And so there's still the same five-minute time span goes by because that seems reasonable to me. That always seems something that was a goal that I could manage. And it didn't seem too daunting, but uh, definitely you talk to yourself after you let in a goal, and it's all about letting the pass go and just making the next save. When you had a couple going quick, would you start peeking at the bench to see if the backup is getting his gear on? Oh, yeah. And, and you know, the backup oftentimes, they're pretty sneaky, too, in certain buildings. You can't do it everywhere, but they'll start uh, stretching a little bit uh, on their own. And so you know... Uh, oh boy, this is getting close. And, and you know, especially early in a period, um, there are a couple times where uh, I definitely let in the first two shots of a game. One time, Daryl Sutter didn't believe in me, so he pulled me, and I understand that. Al Arbor, much to my surprise, early in my career, I believe it was my second or third year, and in fact, we were playing in Edmonton against the Oilers, and they were still a powerhouse. 
And uh, I let in the first two early in the first, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm sure he's told Billy Smith already to get ready. And yet he, uh, he let me battle through. And uh, I was really proud of myself, Reed, because uh, uh, we ended up uh, tying that game 2-2. And uh, we scored a late goal on Grant Fuhr, a guy by the name of Ken Leiter scored it. And uh, I, not only was I proud of myself, but I think I might have shown Al and my teammates that I'm not willing to uh, give in and say, oh, woe is me, and okay, well, I'll be good next game. I, I was really proud of the fact that I was able to fight through that feeling and uh, play extremely well against a, a powerhouse Oilers team. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. The Oilers losing 6-2 yesterday, a matinee game. Now, they did win a matinee earlier this season at New York, so we'll see how it goes historically, the Oilers have not been a good team in matinees. Now, obviously, the last 12 or 13 years, they've lost a lot of games regardless of when it started. But you go back to even those good teams in the 80s. I mean, I was looking yesterday. Some some years they didn't play a lot of games, but you can find some 0-4s or 1-2s. They've never been good in matinees. Like, I'm just, okay, I guess I kind of have a two-parter. Your, your approach to matinees, if they felt different, and, and is there an east-west thing? Like, you played on both coasts. Like, is it easier for an eastern team to get used to playing in the afternoon? Do they, do they play more? I'm also curious about that. Okay, so first of all, uh, I hated when I, I'd look at a schedule and I'd see an afternoon game. I, I dreaded those because I knew I was only going to be one of two things. I was going to be fantastic or dreadful. And uh, I was rarely ever just ordinary uh, or, or pretty good. I was either, like I said, I was lights out or the worst goalie on the planet. And I could never quite get my body clock to work properly. And that was the biggest thing for me because we're such creatures of habit. We've been playing night games ever since you've been a kid. And uh, I rarely ever played afternoon games as a kid, even on weekends. Uh, I doubt I ever played many in junior hockey. I, I doubt the same thing. Uh, in the minors, and so when it started to happen on a more frequent basis in the NHL, it was a real shock to my body. So you have to get up at a different hour. I hate, I still hate breakfast, but you have to find uh, something that you can eat because you need your energy for the game. So that threw uh, uh, me off as well. And uh, I remember even when Fox took over the uh, NHL contract. Uh, man, they had tons of uh, games at noon, Read, and that was even harder. So I can't remember what time I'd get up, but most likely I'd have to get up around 7 o'clock, go eat, uh, maybe lay down for another uh, half hour, an hour, um, then start stretching, get ready for the game, and so on. And uh, some of those games, I was uh, like I said, I, I, one game was really memorable to me. It happened to be New Year's Eve in the early 90s, and we played in Anaheim. I was excellent. We uh, won, I think, 3-2, maybe in overtime. Uh, and uh, that night, the reason I remember that one so well is because uh, for the first time uh, since living in L.A., Donna and I were going to go to the Playboy, Playboy Mansion uh, that night and celebrate in the New Year. So that's a, a weird uh, event. You know, growing up in Edmonton, you don't ever think you're going to be going to the Playboy Mansion with your wife on New Year's Eve. Um and the other thing is, you know, you, you just think those games, um, I don't think it matters, uh, East Coast, West Coast. It's all just, um, you're just trying to survive in those games. And I, I really mean that in the sense that 
you're just trying to get off to a good start and hope that you have some energy early because it's just such an uncom- uncom- un- ugh, uncommon start time. Yeah, that's that's interesting. It, it, Rob Brown says he used to like afternoon games because you didn't have to go to the morning skate. You didn't have to wait. You just kind of got up and ate and went and played, and then you had the, the, the night free <laughs> to, to do right. to do whatever. So totally uh, different feelings about matinees. That's interesting. Kelly Rudy joining us on Inside Sports. D- despite yesterday's loss, McDavid and Dreisaitl have been fantastic. Uh, I, I mean, they totally took over that game against Washington in the third period and ultimately won it in overtime. So I mean, when, we, when we talk about dynamic duos, there have been a lot in the history of the NHL. Um, I mean, guys that as a pair, when they were on the ice together, just always created, maybe gave you fits as a goaltender. Oh, you know, when I played for the Islanders and the, and the Oilers were so darn good, we didn't play them very often, but I always dreaded having to play against uh, Wayne and uh, Yari Curry because they were so unbelievable. Not only uh, five on five, but of course they're deadly on the power play and, and maybe even more so intimidating shorthanded because you're so afraid to be embarrassed by them scoring on you shorthanded and they, and they did it so well. So that would be that nobody's even in uh, that category like those two were, at least in my playing days. There are other, you know, amazing players and whoever Mess was playing with, whether he is with uh, Glenn Anderson or anybody that was playing with uh, Mario, um, even a guy like uh, Warren Young that uh, was so good for a while. But I just, I wouldn't even think of anybody else but uh, Wayne and, and Yari because they, they were so exceptional and they had such uh, magical chemistry. I've never forgotten that goal that uh, they scored in the playoffs in Edmonton versus the Chicago Blackhawks and where Wayne was uh, got a pass. I think they were shorthanded. Got a pass near center and he just spun around with a beautiful backhand pass and put it right onto the tape of uh, Yari and he went down and scored easily on Murray Bannerman. That, that, I was watching that and I'm thinking that is uh, that's not fair. That's just not right that those two guys are that good together. That, that's amazing that you brought up shorthanded. You're, you're still more worried about them being the guys who were going to score than your own team getting a power. But, I, you know, it's funny. We had Kevin Lowe on uh, on our face-off show. I th- I'll have to double-check. I think the Oilers had 36 shorthanded goals one year. Like, it was just insane. <laughs> insane. And that's what I mean. Like, and that's why I use that word embarrassed because you were so afraid of not only getting scored on once or something in a game that when you're, you're playing the Oilers, but it could happen two, three times it seemed because they had so many scoring chances. I know there are a lot of people out there that don't like putting really skilled guys on the penalty kill. I do because from a goalie's perspective, that then you still can't rest. You know, some teams, they play guys, and, and for good reason. They're really defensive-minded, good shot walkers and all that. But the likelihood of them ever getting a scoring opportunity when they're shorthanded is really slim. And so for a goaltender, you can sort of, you know, let your mind at ease just for two minutes anyways, but not when those guys were on the ice. It was You were on full alert, trust me. All right. Well, we'll see if the Oilers can bounce back tomorrow against the Wings. Kelly, always great to have you on the show. Enjoy your road trip here, and we'll talk to you next week. You got it. Thanks, Reed.
Kelly Rudy, great to have him on the show. Uh, did not like afternoon games, though he did say he played well in some of them, but said he had some pretty bad ones uh, as well. The Oilers generally have not liked afternoon games in their history, one and one so far this season. They're going to have another one Saturday against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Okay, we'll have the Oilers and Red Wings in this time slot tomorrow. The Red Wings doing very poorly. Doing very, very poorly. Max Boltman, who covers them for The Athletic, will tell us what's going on there and also talk about Ken Holland's return to Detroit. Longtime general manager, of course, now the GM of the Edmonton Oilers. Kellen Kennedy on the other side of the window today. Kellen, uh, hey, Reed. Hope you don't mind me telling you this. Uh oh. Got, uh, I feel like I'm having a bit of an issue with, with my dad. I feel like there's a little bit of a rift between my father and I. So I'm talking to him last night and I said, uh, Hey, we should go see that new Terminator movie, Dark Fate. Okay. And my dad, without even blinking an eyelash, says, no, it looks stupid. Like, what? A Terminator movie with Arnold? I mean, this isn't the Christian Bale garbage movie with the fake Schwarzenegger face on the guy. This isn't that weird movie Genesis that didn't even make any sense. Yeah. You got James Cameron back producing the film. And you got old Arnold in it. How can it look stupid? I don't know. We're going to have to have a family intervention. Yeah, I guess. Anyway, I'll be back after the 6.30 news. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins is brought to you by Cam LLP Injury Lawyers, representing injured people in Edmonton and across Alberta since 1962. Oh, yeah. Red Robbie texting into 63630 says, Hey, Reed. Gotta say, I love the Terminator series, but the new one looks suspect. Still to this day, every time I hear you could be mine, I think of young punk John Connor ripping it up on the dirt bike with the ghetto blaster cranked. There we go, Red Robbie. Just for you. Terminator 2 was awesome. Terminator 2 is an incredible movie. Great, Terminator, great movie. The first Terminator... It was really good, science fiction. And Terminator 2, just, I, I remember leaving the theater, and like, almost in a daze. Because it, it, like, it was so intense. It's got great action. It's got a great science fiction story. Uh, the special effects, especially at that, at that time, was it Robert Patrick? Yes. Who played the, what was he, the T-1000? That's right, the yeah. Fu- the more advanced version of the Terminator. The bad guy robot, with yeah. The, he could morph and do all the shapes and he was really hard to kill. I was saying, and then what television show that we often reference on the show did Robert Patrick go on to star in the last couple of seasons? He was in The X-Files. That's it. That's John right. Doggett. Yeah. What's the name of his character? Anyway. I, I, I'll go see Dark Fate. Linda Hamilton's back. And the, uh, I, I think her name's Mackenzie Davis, the young lady who plays the younger female lead, I guess. Okay. She was in one of the best Black Mirror episodes of all time, San Junipero. There you go. Have you seen that one? No. Okay. All right. Sorry, Kellen. 
it's pretty good. Anyway, uh, thank you for your participation on the text line, whether you would like to talk sports or Terminator. Uh, Harry says... The uh, real th- uh, the real thing about the Oilers at this time of the year is they are always terrible the day after their Halloween party. Uh, well, the Halloween party was Friday, and they practiced Saturday, and so if it still uh, hindered them on Sunday, that's pretty bad. I think they just played a really bad game. This texture says, I wonder if Jason Moss coached his last Eskimo home game on Saturday. Well, I wonder that too. Uh, obviously, you know, any kit decision about the coaching is going to be made after the season. I, I think how they do in the uh, postseason will lend a little more information to the evaluation for uh, general manager Brock Sunderland. But look, we have seen the, the, the same thing the last couple of years. They've started the season well. Uh, they've not done well in the second half of the year. Uh, they have not been a very adaptable team. And, and we'll talk with Blake's, uh, Blake Dermott's going to join us at 7. The thing about the Eskimos, I just feel like... And this is just just me watching it again. I don't. I can't jump into the players' brains and tell you how they feel. When they get behind in a game, they just seem to get really tense. Like the first half against Saskatchewan, I thought they played really well. I mean, yeah, they made mistakes. Okay, there was an like you know, I don't expect perfection, but you got a 17-7 lead, and I thought it was earned. I, I thought it was earned, and then Saskatchewan comes on in the third quarter, and that's that's the thing. The Eskimos never seem to have an answer when the other team cranks it up. It just seems to, okay, well, all right, so the other team got a touchdown. Oh, now the Eskimos got two and out. Oh, now the other team's moving a ball again. Like, there's never a response or a drive or a couple plays that kind of keeps you hanging around. You know, I know I, I called into Dave and Morley and Blake after the game Saturday, and I said the Eskimos lost the game, lost the third quarter 14 nothing. If they lose the third quarter 10 nothing, they win the game. If they lose the third quarter, 14-6. You've still been outplayed, but you probably win the game in the end. And, you know, I, I think there has been some stubbornness uh, with some of the play calling over the last couple of years, and obviously Jason Moss has been in charge of the offense. I, I'm not a big I'm not a big fire the coach guy. Like if a team's doing bad, they just always want to heap it on the coach. I just, you know, that doesn't interest me that much, and, whether I'm broadcasting or a fan, I've never just been like, get rid of the coach, get rid of the coach. I mean, I think there's more to it than that. But I will say, I mean, he's been there four years, and we've seen a lot of the same problems the last couple of years. But Brock Sunderland's going to have the the, uh, final call. All right. You can text 6-30-6-30. Share Bear says about the Oilers, what is the stats on the games they've actually won. Well, there are, I don't have the uh, page on the media guide open right now. The Oilers' points percentage in afternoon games is around 430. So not very good. That's points percentage. Last year in afternoon games, they played 12 of them that were considered matinees by the NHL. They, they did okay, 5-3-4. and four. So they did get over half their points. They didn't quite win half of them. This year, they're 1-1. They're one one. Now, did they play that way yesterday because it was an afternoon game, or did they they just have a bad game? And did they play a good team? I think you got to give Florida credit as well. But to me, now it's how do they bounce back? Updating the scoreboard: Coyotes and Sabers two-two after two. Later, Panthers play the Canucks. Monday night football: Miami leads Pittsburgh seven nothing about halfway through the first quarter. Basketball tonight: Orlando catching up to the Raptors, but Toronto still leading forty-eight forty-four. That's uh, with about twenty-eight seconds left in the first half. 
Jay Bueller says, I liked all the Terminator movies. The last two, you have to view them as standalone movies, in my opinion, but I'm looking forward to James Cameron returning to the helm. Yeah, did not direct it, did not direct it, but back as producer. So a lot of guidance there. Uh, this texture says, how about adding Tobias Reader to the bottom six? Tobias Reader is on waivers. Placed on waivers by the Calgary Flames. Would I put in a claim on Tobias Reader? I would not. He did score, though, for Calgary this season after not scoring last year at all for the Edmonton Oilers. Here's what head coach Dave Tippett had to say about uh, the Oilers' depth players. When we're ahead in a game and those guys are really doing their job, they have a real mindset to check hard in that. You uh, you know, they have an impact in the game. But when you're chasing the game, it uh, it's harder for them, right? They haven't contributed as much as they want. And I think there's a lot of those guys that are feeling that pressure, you know, and... We'll just keep pounding away at it. We've got to find something down there that uh, at least creating some opportunities. And I, I really feel like once they get on the board and get going, I think everybody will loosen up a little bit. But right now, it's uh, you got a lot of guys that are pressing down there. Well, I think that is part of it. I think the mental side is part of it. They, they all know, like, like none of them are doing it. If, if, if you're in on the Oilers' bottom six and you haven't scored but your line mate's got a couple of goals and maybe you've got an assist or two and, and a guy on another line has a couple of goals, you might say, okay, I haven't done it yet, but these guys are doing it. I, my turn's going to come where I'm the one scoring. None of them have done it. The only one who has, Joachim Nygaard, is out of the lineup with an injury, and he's also played on the second line a little bit as well. He hasn't been just a bottom six player. So I, I, I think there's got to be some mental anguish figuring in, into this now too for, for the players on lines three and four for the Oilers. Um, and it hasn't helped. It hasn't helped that they're falling behind in games. I, I just double-checked. twelve. I mean, again, early, 12 games into the season. When the Oilers have scored first, they're 5-0. and oh. When they've allowed the first goal, they have been good coming back. 3-3-1 three, three and one when they've allowed the first goal, but they had the game in Minnesota. Three goals in rapid succession. The game yesterday, three goals in rapid succession. So pretty hard to recover in those scenarios and, and pretty hard for your bottom six to, to pull you back into the game because they're going to play a little bit less. The coach is going to lean on the other guys, on the big guys, and the opposing team is going to, you know, know that they're protecting the lead and and make it even harder for you to get room out there. Um, The Oilers have only scored nine first-period goals. They have 10 in the second period, 13 in the third, and one in overtime. So they have 17 goals in the third period in overtime, 19 in the first two periods. So they've been a much better team late in games, but, again, they're falling behind, and that puts a lot of stress on them. There's some of the games where we've been behind, and I don't... I think we're the better team in the game, and there's some games where uh, we've scored first, but tonight, right from the first shift, first shift to the first period, the first shift to the second period, we weren't very good in each of those shifts, and it led to the whole, you could just see the momentum in the period goes from there. And Tippett has said he doesn't want to start McDavid or Nugent Hopkins line all the time. He has said several times, and I'm sure you've heard me talking about it, Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final, both St. Louis and Boston started their fourth lines. He has started, remember the Shane line started a game. and So, I mean, Tippett, he's going to lean on ice time-wise on McDavid, Drysettle, Nugent Hopkins, but he wants the other guys to feel like they're contributing and generating energy 
and doing some positive things. And I, I now, again, the, the not scoring for those players is certainly weighing on them. Rob Brown talks about it all the time. You, you, you know as a player, or when you pick up the, the, the game notes for a game, you know that zero is in your goal column. And that is, that is an awful feeling, especially as we get deeper into the season. So on to Detroit for the Oilers to try to get back on track. We've got a pretty good identity of who we think we are, but we have to get more consistency in doing it. And in fact, I think we have been pretty consistent doing it, but there's been a couple games where we've got to be better. And we'll just go back, we've got to be better at it. I thought, I thought it was interesting that Tippett feels that they have a, a pretty strong identity. I'm not sure in my mind from watching them they quite do yet. I, I do think they've they've been resilient. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Which is good. The goaltending has been there, and that's part of your identity, to, to stay calm under pressure. But there, there needs to be a little bit, well, maybe a lot more established early in games. And good teams are usually good starting teams. And, and Alex Chaston talked about that last year when he played for Washington. Their identity was, especially at home, we want to be up 2 nothing 10 minutes into the game. We're going to go out there. We're going to fire away. We're going to play with energy. We're going to show everybody we're a top team in the league, and uh, we're going to tell them in the first 10 minutes that we want to blow them out. The, the, the Oilers don't have that identity. Now, do they have the depth and the talent? That makes it difficult as well. But I, I like the resilient part of the identity coming from behind let's go out there and grab the lead you do have some guys who can make explosive plays they don't have to wait to the third period to do it tough time for the red wings lately we'll get the story there when we get back hi this is mike smith from your edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to inside sports with reed wilkins on 630 ted all right oilers wings tomorrow tough Times in Detroit. Max Boltman covers the wings for the Athletic. Max, welcome back to 630 Chet. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing very well. It's great to have you on the show. Uh, these two teams, the Oilers and Red Wings, wrapping up their season series very early this year. L- let me ask you this just from a perspective of Ken Holland being back in Detroit. The GM doesn't play the games, so I don't know if uh, what the players are going to say about the, the the matchup. The Oilers kind of said the right things a couple of weeks ago, but you know he's not on the bench, not on the ice. But what do you expect the Wings to do for for Holland tomorrow? What kind of a reception do you expect? I think it'll be largely positive. Um, I think you know certainly toward the end of his tenure, there was a lot of frustration from the fan base stemming from some of the. Just the direction that, that things took a turn in Detroit when the playoff streak ended and there was sort of a perception that uh, that maybe he had tried to keep the, the playoff streak alive a little longer than maybe it, it could have reasonably been expected to. So from the fan base's perspective, it'll be interesting. But I think on the whole, people are going to appreciate everything that Ken Holland gave to the organization. You know, he spent 20-plus years there, right, And like, just as GM. So I think it's... Uh, I think in the big picture, I, I expect a mostly positive reception. He, he also left them with some of their best players now in place that he drafted, and Dylan Larkin, Anthony Mantha, Tyler Bertuzzi, 
Andreas Athanasiu, Philip Peronik, most of the guys that Red Wings fans are looking toward as a source of optimism are in the organization because of Ken Holland. And I, I would expect the reception to reflect that. All right. Well, it's been a tough go for, for the Wings. Uh, I think we're up to about two and a half weeks since they won a game, approaching three weeks, I, I guess. Tough one yesterday, overtime loss in St. Louis. Man, that's that that's a long run. I, I don't know if there's uh, one or two areas, but what's been the, the biggest problem keeping the Wings out of the win column? Yeah, you said two and a half weeks, and my first thought was, boy, is that all. It's, it's been... Uh... It's been quite the slog for them since they won in Montreal. I guess it was October 10th, I think. So, yeah, just just a little bit less than three weeks here. And it, it seems like it's been different things. The, the one unifying theme has been special teams. And I don't think they've been good enough on either the penalty kill or the power play to really expect to, uh, to win on a lot of nights. The last couple games in particular against Buffalo and St. Louis, though, I thought, especially at 5-on-5, five five, they really were able to start to control the play. And I think that's something that, you know, they'll be looking to build on their third period against St. Louis in particular, and they, they really were able to, to to make a huge comeback after going down 2-0 early and then 3-1, and they ended up losing in overtime after they took a late penalty and then lost, uh, you know, gave up the goal on the power play and lost in overtime. So a lot of different things. I'd say the penalty kill is a big one, and obviously the Oilers with that power play coming into Little Caesars Arena are going to be, uh, that's going to be a core focus for them, I'm sure, is, is just keeping them off the man advantage. Big story for the Oilers, and, and a big reason why they have the record they do have has, has been the goaltending. Both Smith and Koskinen have been most nights at least as good as the guy at the other end, and often nights better than the goaltender at the other end. The, uh, the numbers for, for the Oilers or for the uh, Red Wings goalkeepers uh, you know, aren't that pretty here early in the season. How, how have they been doing? And you know, has this been poor goaltending, below average goaltending, or is it simply the, the shot quality is, is, is too high against them? Probably a little bit of both at various times, right? It's never just one thing, especially over a sample that large. Like I said, like on, you know, when they're taking penalties and getting beat on the, on the power play, uh, I guess on, for, for the Red Wings, the penalty kill, uh, that one's probably not so much the fault of the goaltenders. But I'm, you know, over the course of this eight-game losing streak, Certainly there are shots that they maybe could have had a better shot at or would like to have back. And, you know, last night in overtime, the, the David Perrone goal uh, that, that went in, I think, you know, I don't know how good a look Bernier got at it, but by the end of it, it looked like maybe something that it was kind of a C&I shot. So it was, uh, it's been various things. I don't think, I don't think you'd hear many people saying the Red Wings goaltending has been what they need it to be, but I don't think you could pin it all on them either. Max, when, the Oilers come to town. Now, Holland's a story tomorrow, but I'm just curious in other cities and cities that the Oilers only visit once. I mean, do you do you look for a story beyond McDavid and Dreisaitl are in town? <laughs> I mean, those guys... Right I, I, now it's hard, hard not to notice James Neal, right? I mean, that's one of the stories of the young NHL season is his resurgence and what he's been able to bring for them. But, you know, I, I think... McDavid and Dreisaitl are going to grab all the headlines imaginable anywhere they are, especially with with the way they've played to start this season. So it's you're, you're right that it's kind of hard to look too far past it. But I also do wonder about some of the young defensemen. You know, Ethan Bear scored against the Red Wings the other night in Edmonton. So And I think for the fans in Detroit watching their own rebuilding team, I think it's always interesting to see how other clubs who have gone through a rebuild, how they look, what's working for them, what's worked for them, and what hasn't. So I think... That's always sort of a subplot whenever the Red Wings take on another rebuilding team, and I would I would lump Edmonton in with that. All right, and and look, tough time for Detroit, but there there are positives. You got a couple of players with a point a game. Who are the bright spots for the Wings so far this season? 
The big one's probably Anthony Mantha, and I think you know his his four goal game in the home opener a couple few weeks ago was certainly the uh, the brightest spot of the season so far. He's a point per game player basically through the first twelve games of the season, and um, that's a big that's a big step forward. People were hoping for a breakout from him, and in the early going, he's delivered it. He's getting his one timer off. He's been able to make some plays. On the back end, though, Philip Ronick is a guy who came up toward the second half of last season, played regularly, and now I would say has really established himself as one of their best defensemen. I think he played 27 minutes against St. Louis the other night. So they're they're relying on him in all kinds of situations. He's on the the power play, on the flank. He's got a heck of a, a shot on his one-timer. So And then he can also hold up his own end of the deal in the defensive end, too. So I, I think those kind of two are, are two of the big ones. Tyler Bertuzzi continues to evolve. Dylan Larkin as a, as a center who can not just score but play against other teams' best players. But, you know, these are these are the names everybody knows, right? And I think uh, more than anything, the story has been, I guess you could count Dennis Chalowski in there. He seems to have taken a step forward defensively. But they really just need more contributions. I don't think uh, they've gotten what they need out of Andreas Athanasiu yet. He has yet to score a goal. Tara Hirose is a guy who came on strong at the end of last season and has had more of what you would expect for an introduction to the NHL to start this year. I think things have gotten a little bit tougher on him. So just as much as it's about the bright spots, I'd say it's about the guys who the team was hoping could be bright spots who maybe haven't been yet. All right. Well, Max, always great to have you on the show. Thanks so much for making time for us. Enjoy the game tomorrow. Always fun when these two teams meet. Hey, thanks for having me. And uh... Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You enjoy it as well. Max Boltman covers the Red Wings for The Athletic. Tomorrow, 4 o'clock face-off show. Game at 5.30, Oilers and Wings. Blake Dermott when we get back. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.